first of all, I was challenging the people not only to look at the PT with God and make that part of their habit in 2014, but also encourage them to recognize that we also have a, a simple outline of prayer in there as well, Monday through Friday. And I was at a prayer conference, a one-day prayer conference uh, on Thursday, and I was talking to some of the people there, and they said, I need, I need to put some order to my prayer uh, life. And they asked, what do you do? And I shared some of the things that we do at Grace Hills Church is that as you think about prayer, if we're not intentional, we'll have a tendency to keep praying about the same things over and over and over again, and we don't branch out in our prayer life. And the Bible does tell us some specific things about what we ought to pray for and who we ought to pray for. And so Monday through Friday, we, we encourage you to pray for missionaries on Monday because missionaries begin with a letter M. All right, so then, uh, then, then we put some other things together. Thank you, thank you very much there, uh, <laughs> Megan, is that your name begins with a letter M. All right, so uh, Megan's really tied into that. So if you really want to know who we, who we support uh, as a church, if you regularly pray for missionaries on Monday because it begins with a letter M, then you'll go through all our, prayer, uh, all our, our uh, missionaries uh, in a period of probably about two months. And so I encourage you to do that. The Bible also tells us that we ought to be praying uh, for people that we're concerned about that, that don't know the Lord. And so on Tuesday, the only way I could work this out is we pray for the people in our o- oikos. And so uh, pray for people that, that you are concerned about that know the Lord, uh, that don't know the Lord. Uh, it's been well said that if you're going to talk to people about God, then talk, first of all, God, to God about people. And so if you pray for people that don't know the Lord, then you're much more uh, probable to talk to them about the Lord. And then on Wednesday, we actually pray for the W, for workers. The Bible uh, anoints all, all vocations and stages of life as being strategic in His kingdom work. You know, you know pastors are, are really not any more spiritual than anybody else. We have a particular job to do. But if you're a homemaker, if you are retired, or if you work as a lawyer or as a teacher or whatever it might be, you are God's missionary to those people. And so I encourage you to be praying for our, our constituents, our people in our church, wherever they might be. In fact, one way you could do that is take a church directory and just pray for the names of the people and ask wherever they are, wherever they're living, whether they're going to school or they're teaching school or whether they're working construction, and ask God to bless them and use them not only as a witness but to do whatever they do well. The Bible uh, anoints all work as something that can bring him honor. So whatever a person does, might they do it heartily unto the Lord, to their very best. Then on Thursday, we encourage people to pray for um, the people in leadership. And so we are called in First Timothy chapter 2 to pray for our president and our Congress and uh, people in elected offices. And, and, and if, if you send out more emails criticizing people in positions of authority than praying for them, then stop sending out emails, right? We, we need to be praying for them. Then if you want to be involved in the process of educating people, fine. But be sure you pray first and then educate second. You kind of get my drift here? Okay. And then on Friday, pray for family and friends and pray for those people closest to you that, that God would really do a work in their life. So I encourage you to put some kind of order to your prayer. Uh, we've also looked at the, the, the Lord's Prayer and made it a kind of acrostic uh, related to that, that we ought to be people who, and when we pray, if you look at the Lord's Example there, we ought to be involved in praise. We ought to renew our commitment to God's will in our life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, We are to ask God for physical and spiritual needs, and we ought to yield to God as we face temptation. And so there are some things that you can put in your prayer life as well.
So anyway, that's a, that's a freebie. That's a sermon before the sermon. So uh, let's pray before we look in God's Word. Father, just pray that you might use this time and uh, make it uh, impactful in our lives. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in the first service, which I have a little bit more time to preach, I, I didn't get through the message. I got through it, but I didn't get through exactly how I wanted to get through it. So I, I'm really tempted to speak really rapidly. I know this service particularly likes me speaking fast, right? Um, but, you know, as, as we think about life, and as last week we decided to, uh, as we take a two-week break before we get back into Ephesians next, uh, next Lord's Day, Lord willing, is that we ought to begin the year right. So I entitled last week's message, Let's Begin the Year Right. And since I didn't finish that message, I, I, I had to kind of follow that up. And so I got real creative and I said, let's still begin the new year right, all right? And that's, that's something we ought to remind ourselves. No matter uh, what it is, it's, it's never too late to, to try to start... To, it's never too late to start trying to do things right. And, and then uh, really the, the theme of the passage that we looked at last week, you know, what keeps us as God's people from doing things that are right? And, and Paul really addresses that. And I had opportunity yesterday, it was, it was kind of an interesting experience. We, we had a service, a unique experience for me to actually uh, uh, preside in a service in which there was two people, not one. Uh, there was a couple in our church that died within a short period of time, Alan and Delma Benson. And so we had the opportunity with family and friends to celebrate their life together uh, rather than separately as they, they went on to be with the Lord. But then I had a rush to Temecula and there was the wedding for Dan and Lori Mayer's son, Danny Mayer. And so you went from remembering life that had ended to life in, in terms of oneness and marriage that was beginning. And as you think about life, we, we think more about life at death than any other time because it just, it just brings back the reality that, that we only have so much time here and, and we might as well do it right whatever time we have left. And, and so as we think about that, that's kind of true as Paul was writing to, as he called his son in the faith, Timothy. He wrote two letters, 1 Timothy and then 2 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, Paul had just been released from prison and he was always expecting to get out of incarceration. It was, it was kind of a, uh, a white-collar type of uh, imprisonment. He was under house arrest, but he was pretty convinced that God was going to send him out again. But now, the, the context of writing 2 Timothy, Paul is in, uh, is in really a dungeon. It's dark, it's damp. Uh, and he's deprived of all the relationships of people who were coming and going when he was incarcerated the first time. And, and now, and he wasn't a pessimist. We know that from all of Paul's writings. But now he could really read the handwriting on the wall. And he knew that he was not going to be set free. That his death was imminent. But as he was thinking about his state... He had gotten reports that his son in faith, Timothy, who was taking over his ministry at, in Ephesus, that he was filled with timidity. He was filled with fear. He was filled with despair. He was discouraged. And, and so Paul writes to him to, to kind of pump him up for whatever God had left for him the, for the rest of his life. And the verse that we looked at, which is one of those, there's a variety of passages in Scripture that just... They, they just, um, you know, like they could be put on Hallmark cards. They could put on your refrigerator. They could be one of those verses you just want to hold on to because they're just, just filled with so much hope and, and comfort and, and strength. 
And it's that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when you think about it, you think, wow, that's, that's so awesome of God that he would say, that's what I have given you. That's what I have for you to live life to its fullness. But just like the wedding rings that were exchanged uh, at the ceremony last night, and particularly looking at the engagement ring that was on the, the finger of uh, Evie last night, though there are passages in Scripture that are like the diamonds in the midst of all the other information God gives us. Um, it, it's even more beautiful as you see it in its setting. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we looked at part of the setting last week, but then uh, we're going to look at the other part of it, and then we're going to look at hopefully the guts of it again. And um, Lord willing, we will get through uh, at least uh, the four things God has promised that He has given us. One thing He has promised that He has not given us, then sometimes the best gifts that you have are the gifts God doesn't give you. And sometimes the best other gifts are also the, the gifts He has given you. And this by way of example, during your dating periods of time, maybe there's some people you, you wanted as God's gift for you as a life mate. And then uh, that didn't happen. And now you look back and say, I'm so glad. I'm so glad God didn't give me that person I thought I wanted. <laughs> okay. Sometimes the best gifts that God gives you are the gifts he doesn't give you. Uh, and then the ones you have you want to cherish. But as God has given us a promise, taking the last part of that verse of power and love and a sound mind, uh, the question is almost, but, well, why? Well, you know, why has God given us power? Why has God given us love? Why has God given us clarity of what he wants us to do and to be? Because he wants us to do something. And, and in the midst of uh, verse 7, before, now uh, this is really important, before verse 7, there is verse 6. You are so sharp. This is, you're much sharper than the first verse. All right. Now, here's, here's a tougher question. Verse 6 becomes before verse 7. What comes after verse 7? Verse 8. You've got it. All right. Well, let, let's see the setting of that diamond. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that a great promise? What's the setting? The setting, we looked at it last week. Verse 6. Therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he tells Timothy who should have known better and had been told this before. He was a pastor. He said, look at God has gifted you. God has given you the capacity, ability to serve me. And he's done that for everybody. We do different things for God in his kingdom. But he's given everyone a gift, if not many gifts. And he said, these are the abilities I have empowered you with so that you can do something. Particularly within the body of Christ, you can serve each other and build each other up. And you can, you can be involved in certain ministries and things that, that are pushing the, the program of, of God's people among God's people. And, and so that gives us a clue. Well, why does God want to give us power or energy to do something? Because he has something for us to do. And part of that is to use our gifts, our abilities, our talents. We went through a series on that God has designed each of us in particular ways. So part of our adventure in life is to figure out what can I do for God? And then fan the flame and say, even though I'm tired or I can't do the same things I used to do, whatever reason it might come up to say, you know, I'm retired from serving God, say, no, I haven't retired from serving God. 
And, and there's, take this, we all can have a ministry of prayer. Uh, that could be serving God. Look for something God wants you to do and fan that flame. Um, to, uh, you can write cards. You can visit people. Whatever it might be, figure out what God wants you to do and then do it. And, and realize, just like Timothy, sometimes you're going to feel like not doing it. And you need that exhortation. Hey, stir it up. Get it going again. But that's verse 6. The other part of the setting for God wanting us to realize that we have power is verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the, what? The gospel. So it, he, he's saying, I want you to realize you have power and love and clarity of purpose in mind because I not only have something for you to do in the church, but I have something for you to do outside the church, and that is to get the gospel out. And, and one of the reasons we won't get the gospel out is at times we almost act like we're ashamed of it. We're, we're, we're fearful of what my, people might think or say if we present the gospel to them. Isn't that true? We're intimidated by others. And Paul says, look at um, you, you don't have to live in fear. You have got power, love, and a sound mind. And because of that, you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul, in prison, and normally when people are in prison, you see them as doing something wrong, or they're a failure, or they've been caught, or whatever it might be. And he says, look, at, even in my predicament, I'm realized I still have people chained to me that I can still present the gospel to. And I can love them. And I can believe I have the strength to speak to them. And, and I can have clarity of mind to say, no, what I ought to say to them. So this promise of not having a spirit of fear, of power and a love and a sound mind is in the context of God has called his people to do something in the church and outside the church. Pretty simple and pretty clear, right? That will be different for each person. But um, that's, what, that's how God wants us to live life right by, by seeing he's got us all on mission for him now what we tried to look at last week at least for a couple of things is well what does that do for us to know that that's what god has equ- equipped us to be able to do and be what he wants us to be he first of all begins with what he has not given us he has not given us a spirit of fear that's kind of an interesting thing to say a gift that you haven't given but he begins that way and I talked to you that this word for fear is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And you could actually translate it this way, at least in the sense of its meaning. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. In other words, uh, the, he's not saying we'll never be fearful in life because that, that, wouldn't, be, uh, that wouldn't be true to the rest of the passages in, in, uh, of Scripture as well as life in general. There's a lot of things that bring fear in our life. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, there are a lot of things that, that cause us to, to, to be tr- you know, trembling inside. Uh, some of that is just the way we are. In fact, it's a good thing at times. We've talked about it. There is good to be fearful about certain things physically. You don't want to get too close to the fire because if you get too close to the fire, you're going to get what? Burned. But you don't want to be so fearful of that fire that you're so far back you don't receive any of its what? It's warmth. Okay, so there is a healthy fear and there's an unhealthy fear. But what he is saying here is, I, I don't want you to be a coward as it relates to fire. Okay, I don't want you to be a coward as it relates to life. And it doesn't mean that there isn't fearful things out there, but you don't have to be filled with cowardice. And there's many passages that speak about that, even in the midst of the challenge of being in fearful circumstances. Josh 1.9, we talked about that last week. He's talking to the, the replacement for Moses. 
Have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and of good, uh, good courage. Do not be afraid. And why would you tell anybody to not be afraid? Because they are what? Afraid. Uh, Nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the idea, in the midst of your fears, don't let that fear cross the line from being a healthy fear to an unhealthy fear. Don't let it cross the line where it keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. And the antidote for that is to recognize that you are living always, constantly in the presence of God. Have you ever been um, confronted by a bully? Uh, Bulliness has now become kind of a media thing. We're trying to eradicate bulliness in schools, all right? Um, Most bullies will pick on what kind of people? Weak people. They'll pick on, if they're big, they're looking for somebody small. All right, now take that small person. If that small person uh, had a bully coming to him or her, um, they would be filled with a healthy fear because of what might happen. However, if next to the little guy or little girl was someone bigger than the bully coming, how would that change that fearful experience? (laughs) All of a sudden, you're filled with confidence because you have someone bigger on your side than the person who might be coming to attack you. And and so that's what he was trying to say to you. I am not giving you a spirit of cowardice because... I am constantly with you. You are in the presence of the one who is um, overcoming of everything in this life. And if you like the words of Jesus, and you like the words of Jesus? All right, all right, good. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, because the world gives only peace when there is no conflict, right? You know, when, when... Two nations are at war and they signed a peace treaty. The reason there's peace is because they're no longer in conflict. Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you you're not going to be in conflict uh, or in circumstances that are dreadful. But I'm going to give you a peace in the midst of that. I give you um, peace, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be, what? Afraid. So again, the presence of God is that which deals with our fears. Same thing, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Again, in the world you will have reasons to be fearful. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So again, it's not the elimination of fearful things, but in the midst of that, you're you're not overwhelmed by it and you have a spirit of cowardice where you're running from what God might allow to... Uh, to happen in your life and you're saying if God is with me I can go through anything but it's a choice to believe God has given that but you have to believe that is true but then he goes on and says I I want to not only deal with in the negative you don't have a a spirit of cowardice you can have a healthy fear not an unhealthy fear but I want you to realize in the midst of fearful what do you have uh, in terms of gifts or a capacities that I'm going to give you that will able to handle that which will be uh, challenging you more than you looking at it as an opportunity, trust me. And that is when he said, I've given you not only not a spirit of fear, but a power. Uh, live with power. And, and, and there's a promise in Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And this is the part of the verse that really hits with strength. The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be Afraid. Now, the things in our life that we feel that we're not prepared for, capable to 
to um, encounter or experience is what brings more anxiety, isn't it? That's what happens. But if we feel we're strong in an area, then we're much, much more open to deal with what's coming our way. And, and, and that can be true you know, athletically. It can be true academically. You know, academically, if, if you are having a test tomorrow, if you remember back to your school day years, and you had not studied one link, one lick, and you had... Uh, this is not an area where, where it comes to you naturally and you're about ready to take an exam, you're going to be filled with fear. But if you are going to take a test in which you have prepared you know, for weeks on end, you have even taken practice tests and you've aced them, now when you're going to take that test, even if you don't like taking tests, you're not filled with total of fear because, you know, I, I'm really confident I'm going to pass this because I know the material. And, and so what God is saying, look, at, I have given you the capacity to go through these things because you not only have your strength, but you have a strength much beyond that. You have my strength. I, I, I can do this. I can do this. And again, that could be a physical challenge. Let, let, let's say... Um, let, Let's say you get nervous driving at night, okay, and you don't like to drive at night, but, the, but you have gone through one particular um, journey driving. You know, maybe it's from point A to point B. You know every street. You know every uh, stop sign. And you go, you know, I've done this a hundred times. And I've, and I've gotten through from to point A to point B every time. It, it, it leads you to believe you can get there. And so God said, look, I've given you the strength to do something because haven't I been faithful to you in the past? Uh, the Bible says this kind of power is beyond our ability to even comprehend. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And it's also, again, that power that, that enables us to share our faith with others. But what we need to come to the point is believing that God has given us enough strength for that time. I was reading a, this, a little story uh, um, about God's you know, comforting strength and, and comforting presence. Uh, one Sunday after church, mom asked her, her very young daughter what she learned in Sunday school. Her daughter answered, uh, don't be scared, you'll get your quilt. Needless to say, the mom was a little perplexed, so she asked the Sunday school teacher, uh, what, did, what happened in Sunday school? And, and when uh, she asked that question, the teacher said, well, the lesson's on, do not be afraid, thy comforter is coming. <laughs> you, know, you know, God is there, okay? And, and not only is he there to, in his presence, but he's also there in his power and his strength. And he gives us that capacity to do things beyond what we think that we are normally capable of doing. Now, again, I, I don't want to diminish fears. There's all kinds of fears. Uh, uh, one of the things we've done over the last year in terms of our ministry, we have a resource center in our fellowship hall, our fellowship center. And in it, there's all kinds of things that target uh, areas in our life that can trip us up and um, I was going to share from a variety of some of the resources there, but I'm just taking out one of them. One is from social anxiety. And this is a list of fears that they put together that, that people, in fact, it's under the, the bold. Do you fear? Are you afraid of talking on the telephone, participating in small groups, eating or drinking in public places, talking to people in authority, giving a talk or report in front of a group, attending social events, working while being observed, speaking at a meeting, writing while being observed, some even are fearful about signing a check or filling out a form. Uh, fearful of interacting with clerks at the bank, grocery, dry cleaners, using a public restroom, 
entering a room where, where others are already seated, being at the center of attention, expressing disagreement or disapproval to people you don't know well, making eye contact with people you don't know well, buying or re- returning items at department stores, giving a party, resisting a high-pressure salesperson, dealing with doctor's offices, dating, expressing your opinion, performing such as playing a musical instrument or taking a test. That's why I threw that in. And then one of them here, even he was attending church. <laughs> you know, people are fearful about all kinds of things. I'm thinking... There is a spirit of fear in our society today. And you can call it social anxiety, which this booklet talks about. But in the midst of whatever causes you to be filled with that, that dread inside that seems to be overwhelming, at that point, that's when you need to say, God, what do you say about this? Do, do I have to be overwhelmed by it? Have I, do I really have a spirit of cowardice because of this is too much for me? Or, or will you, whatever you allow to come my way, will you give me the ability to handle it? And then not only with your presence, but do I believe your power will be there for me? But real quickly, looking at a couple other things that he says in this passage. He says, not only have I given you my presence, which will deal with your fear. I not only give you my presence, but my, my power. I will give you the ability to live with love. I've given you a spirit of love. Now, now, sometimes what happens as we do life, what keeps us from doing life how God wants us to do it is that we really don't care about the people around us. Or at times, we feel that no one really cares about us. And in 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, again, it, it speaks, and all these have co- connections between the promise and dealing with the problem, which is fear. In 1 John four eighteen and 19, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. There probably can be nothing more debilitating than than a person feeling that that people around them really don't care about them. uh, That that people don't love them. Or even use the language a lot of people. No one likes me. No one likes me. And at that point... You might be in a circle of people at that moment in which you're not the most popular person in town. But what do you do in those kind of situations? Think about the most significant person in this universe. And hopefully that's not a tough question to answer. Who's the most significant person in this universe? God. Who who is who has... If you wanted someone as your friend, I mean, if you had to choose only one friend in this universe, who would you choose to be your friend? And you could go down all the kind of the descriptions. What, what would you value in terms of relationship more than any other relationship that you can imagine? Who, who would be the name you'd like to be able to drop in a par- on a party? Well, yeah, I know so-and-so. I know this athlete. I know this celebrity. I know this politician or I know this person who's accomplished this in the past. How would you like to be able to drop the name of God Almighty and to say that he considers me his friend? And when you begin just to resonate that in your heart and your mind, you're saying, I don't care if anyone else loves me. God loves me. And not only has he loved me so immensely and deeply, He's now given me the capacity to, to leak that love out on others. I think we've all heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people. You ever heard that before? 
You know, people who, who really do some things, you go, I can't imagine, why would anybody do that? Well, for many of them, the reason they do that is because someone's already done that to them. And we, at various levels, do the same thing. But look at it from a positive perspective. If we've been loved deeply, then the natural response is that well, then we want to love deeply as well. And that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, I just, I just would pray that you might know the height and depth and width and length of God's love. Because when you're secure with someone loving you, then fear just leaves, doesn't it? It just, well, yeah, but I know they love me. And I don't care what the, anybody else, but I know they love me. And, and hopefully you, you've got that relationship not only with God, but with people too. That there, there are certain people in your life that their love for you is so, is so secure in your heart and mind that you're confident that, that no matter what happens in other relationships, you know that there's nothing that can separate you not only from the love of God from those people. And when that happens, and, and, you, and you really realize the significance of that, fear just seems to not have significance. And, and really, this is the goal of, of much of what the Bible has to say. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll go to the 1 Timothy passage. Uh, and and he, he says, now the purpose of the commandment, and probably a better way to understand that, now the purpose of instruction, Paul is teaching Timothy, the purpose is, of instruction is love from a pure heart from a good conscience and a sincere faith. But the first thing he said, more than anything else, I want you to understand love, being unconditionally accepted by God. And and really that's what the other four words are about. The the types of love uh, in the Greek culture, uh, only two of these words are actually used in the New Testament, but four of them are used in the culture. One is eros, from which we get the word erotic, and it's sensual love. And that love is very tenuous. I mean, it can, it, it, you know, its beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And once that person is not beautiful, uh, that attraction is not there. And maybe that, that, that chemical response to, to wanting that person just dissipates because it's, it's basically physical, sens- sensual or physical. Uh, Storgate, which is actually, it, it's really a familial uh, from a family perspective. And it's, it's emotional love. And I, and I use the word emotional in that I, well, I, I need to love them because they're part of my family. If they're part of my family, I better love them, you know. It, is that it, it's, it's tied to a blood relationship. And uh, time does not give us to talk about, you know, Jesus talked about who really was part of his family. And we need to love God more than even members of our own family because that's what's really going to hold on to us. But it's an emotional type of love. Uh, philanthropia, which is the word philanthropic. It's also the word philos from some of you have heard that, which is, um, it, it really comes from like Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. It's, it's, living, it's loving people who are your, your friends or, or close companions. But that's a conditional love. I love them because they love me. But the love that God has for us and he wants us addition, additionally to love others is agape, which is unconditional love. I love you because... Because God has made you in His image and, and God has commanded uh, me to love you and I want to love you because I've been loved that way by Him. And I want what's best for you. And Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from that kind of love from God. We can be secure in that relationship. So as we begin the new year, right, we, we, can, we can begin the new year, right, realize we don't have to face 
no matter what the challenges are for this next year, with a sense of unhealthy fear or cowardice. But we can do it in the strength of God, the power of God, the love of God. And then I would call the clarity of God. Live with clarity. He says, I've given you a sound mind. Some translations say discipline or self-discipline. Or they'll say self-control or I've given you a, a sober spirit. There's a lot of ways to try to translate that. Though This word is uniquely used in this passage. There's another passage that uses it in a, in a slightly different form. But it really has the idea that, that God has given you clarity of mind. Now, there, there are minds that get clouded because of dementia or some mental illness. But even in the midst of that, God says, I, I can communicate to you what's most important. I can get to communicate to you the difference between right versus wrong. And, and I'll give you the capacity to do what is right and wrong. And, and, and if there's, and there's, we are both physical and spiritual, and, and, and there's a place for, for um, uh, approaching any of our uh, struggles, uh, looking at is there a physical solution, a chemical solution, but even more so in the midst of that, it's, it's a capacity to depend upon God in the midst of that, of that journey. That, that God will give us clarity of what is right and wrong and what's, what's most important priorities. It's interesting how Paul puts in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is the only time it's used in a similar way. He says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. But if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Now, that's one of those, like, those statements where, in which it just, what are you saying, you know, Paul? Basically, he, he is commenting on people looking at him. He says, now, as people look at my life and I, you know, I'm, I'm like sold out for Jesus. I'm doing everything I can to live for him, to please him. And everything I do, whether it's tent making or preaching the gospel or standing up for him, uh, speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. And I'm so into Jesus that some people are thinking, you are beside yourself. You are, in fact, actually the word is, you are crazy. You're so fanatical. He says, that's what the world thinks because they don't realize how real Jesus is. But for you who know Know who Jesus is. You say, no, this is, this is really soundness of mind. This is really putting the important things first. And, and then he goes on and says, okay, and this is how I live. For the love of Christ con- compels us or, or pushes us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And then this great verse, and he died for all that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on behalf. See, that's really what the Christian life is all about. It's saying, look, look, this life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm supposed to glorify God in my body. Whatever I do, it's to bring honor and praise to Him. And so that's, what's, that's what real soundness of mind is all about, is to, to live for God. Now, it will look different ways for different people, but it's, it's putting Jesus first. And that, that's really people thinking rightly. You know, there's a man, one of my favorite stories in terms of the, the God transforming people's lives through Jesus is in Mark chapter 5, where the demonic um, individual encountered Jesus. And after that encounter, this is, this is how it was described to him. Then, then they came to Jesus. This is the, the, the community. as they, they knew all that this man had been and did. And he said, and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and, and had the legion of demons sitting and clothed and it is what kind of mind? Right mind. And it was interesting. They who used to be fearful of the demon-possessed man, now they were afraid of who? 
Jesus. Because they realize if Jesus really got a hold of their life, their lives also would have, it, would have to be transformed. Sometimes people look good on the outside. And sometimes, have you ever had that encounter where you think, man, if, if anyone doesn't need Jesus, it's that person. I mean, they're, they're like, they got it together, everything. I mean, they got a great family. They, they're financially secure. They got a good job. They have fun hobbies. Everything seems right with them. But you don't really know what's going on, on the inside. And see, whenever someone encounters Jesus... They get changed, and they become people who used to be one way, and then they become another. God wants us to begin still the new year right. And we begin the new year right when we understand that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Let's pray. Father, help us to be people who live out our faith and we struggle with these challenges that come our way. And Father, I just really pray in the midst of whatever a fearful, natural fearful encounter is happening in someone's life, I pray that they might turn to you and rest in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to...